Hello, friends. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the Main Idea Podcast for today. I have the pleasure of sitting down with Dustin Isaac Brown. Please let me say a brief note about the new show sponsors. This show is now brought to you by Athletic Greens, Bubs Naturals, and Vivo Barefoot Shoes, all of which are key components to my daily health, wellness, and fitness routine. To support the show, you can use the links in the show notes or go to my Instagram, which will provide various discounts for each brand. Regarding sponsors, I want the listener to know that any brand or sponsorship you hear about on the show will have been personally vetted by me, utilized consistently, and put through the test of jujitsu, strength training, and surfing prior to being invited on as a show sponsor. I do this so that I can share these tools enthusiastically in hopes that they help you optimize your health because the healthier you are, and the less pain you're managing, the more that you can enjoy your day-to-day life. The other way that you can support the show is by taking 30 seconds and leaving a five-star review on Apple or Spotify and subscribing to the YouTube channel. This helps the show get discovered organically and helps me continue to bring on amazing guests. There's also now timestamps in the show notes, so feel free to jump around to the part that interests you most, although I always recommend listening to the episode in its entirety. Dustin Brown is a jiu-jitsu black belt, owner of Warrior One Yoga, former pro surfer and accomplished internationally recognized yogi and conductor of yoga teacher trainings. These types of conversations are some of my favorite as they blend the mental, physical, and spiritual aspects of life. I hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Without further ado, Dustin Brown. Dustin, I I want to say thank you for waking up early all the way in Australia, taking the time to be here as a, a studio owner, someone who's running multiple businesses. I really do appreciate you taking the time out of your day to jump on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so there will be uh, a bit of an intro explaining um, yourself and, and your history within the sport of jiu-jitsu as well as your endeavors in yoga and business, but I figured it might be a good opportunity for you to speak a little bit on what makes you someone who, I mean, I view you as like an authority in these regards, but what makes you someone who can really speak to the areas of movement and mindfulness and then their unique intersection with the beautiful art of Brazilian jiu-jitsu? Um, I think that I have, I can only speak from my experience and I've been completely obsessed with jujitsu and movement for last 20 years. And even before that, ever since I was born, I grew up surfing and in the ocean and water sports. So movement and understanding it has always been a big part of my life. And as soon as I became fully obsessed with jujitsu, the injuries and things that came with that. Um, I started later on in life. So <laughs> I started looking for ways to negate them so that I could keep training hard and keep showing up to the gym. And I had tried a bunch of different things until I found yoga. And when I started yoga, it was very clear that that's what I needed to be doing. As soon as I did, it made huge transformation on my physical body and my abilities and just my recovery. So I think so, that my experience in these in these fields and some time spent doing them and things learned, lessons learned by doing the hard way, uh, I have some. I can help some other people on their path. Do you feel like you were always someone who appreciated, um, like, were you thinking about body mechanics and things like that and balance and body position and just generally how you move through space? Because 
things like, you know, surfing is a very proprioceptively aware sport. There's a lot of motion going on and you have to intuitively understand what your body is doing along the wave to create speed, to slow down, to carve, to move. And things like jujitsu play into that a lot in that your spatial awareness lends itself to you moving better throughout a role, throughout training, drills, practice, whatever. And yoga shares a lot of those principles. But thinking about it that way, I feel like develops as you play more into each different thing. Because when yeah, I first, I like very first started in, in sports, I just loved sports. But I wasn't thinking about it yet as like a coach or, or a trainer or someone who's really obsessed with movement. When do you feel like that, that became something that you were noticing and starting to pay attention to? I would say around the time um, I was blue belt and I started going to yoga classes, the yoga teachers are pretty technical in their explaining of movement. Mm -hmm. And I would, you know, often go to jujitsu and struggle with techniques and understanding how to put techniques together. I wasn't someone that showed up to jujitsu and it was natural for me. Like I sucked and I had to drill and I had to do <laughs> a lot of, a lot of hard work. Like I remember even sitting on my shins, you know, toes on tuck waiting yeah. for like the instructor to show the technique. And we all had to sit on our shins and that was intense for me at the beginning. So I had to work through a lot of bad patterning and old injuries to be able to actually even train and get better at training. But I think it happened around blue belt when I started intersecting different modalities. I knew noticed that in yoga, they were very technical. And I knew in jujitsu, technique equaled ability. The more technique you have, the better you are at, at jujitsu. So as I was attending more and more yoga classes and listening to them talk, I'm like, I'm pretty sure I'm not doing this right because the way they're explaining this and the way I feel isn't matching up. And so that kind of really made me take a deeper dive into anatomy, biomechanics, and understanding yoga. I did a yoga teacher training, did some personal training courses, and the aspects of movement and understanding like, okay, the systems behind it, biology, but not only that, like for me, it was more, how can I fix myself? I'm always ha I always have pain in my spine or always always have these little niggling injuries. How can I know myself better so I can stop these things from happening and prevent them? It's crazy to hear you say that when you look at um, I mean just the just your social channels, right? The proficiency and movement that you have and control of your body through the yoga practices and the movements, and then also obviously your your skill level now within jujitsu and the time that you've dedicated to it to hear that, you know, even back then there was a time where something simple like sitting on your shins presented a, a problem. It just seems almost not believable. But there are serious challenges when you you take on something new like that, something like the, the sport or art of jujitsu. And I remember the, the biggest thing that I had trouble with was respecting my body going from competing in Olympic, Olympic weightlifting and then trying to, to learn this new skill. I just kept beating myself up over and over because I didn't look at it as hard, but it was hard for me to unlearn the strength part of it to get mm. to like the flow aspect. W like what do you, when you, when you have people in there that are trying to figure out either yoga, whether they're, they're learning from you in the yoga environment or they're learning from you in a jujitsu environment, how do you help people unlearn those uh, like strength tendencies or, or, or a, a willingness to use their athleticism or use their strength to kind of bull rush through technique development.
Hello, ladies and gentlemen. If you enjoy this podcast and the guests that I have on, you can support it by checking out my amazing sponsor, Athletic Greens. I started taking Athletic Greens because I've always been a firm believer that health starts on the cellular level. From my competitive years as an athlete to my weekly output of jiu-jitsu, surfing, and strength training, cellular nutrition is a non-negotiable since I need every leg up I can manage. That's why I won't skip on ingredients or quality when I start my day with pure AG1. Plus, AG1 contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, and it honestly tastes good, while all costing less than $3 a day. Look, if you put in the work, you need to reward your body. So, to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Abe. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash A-B-E to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I totally understand because it can be hard coming from, especially if you're already really good at something, like you're an Olympic level, level lifter and you're like, I know movement, I know my body, I've trained so hard to get to this point in this thing. And this looks awesome. I'm going to do it. I'll be good. It can't be that hard. <laughs> right? I thought I totally you thought the same shattered. thing. I'm like, I, you know, I've been doing jujitsu as a blue belt. I've served professionally. Like, I've been surfing my whole life. I'm like, yoga, let's go. Right. And I was humbled right away. Right? Like, so humbled because I was sitting there doing these things to myself, but I felt the intensity of training jujitsu. Sometimes when someone has pressure on their pressure on you and like crushing you, you know, like that same kind of the same feelings. So it's a hard pill to swallow if you're a pro coming from another sport and trying something new, but you have to accept that beginner's mindset and allow yourself to be a work in progress. So many people show up, especially to yoga because they are coming from something else and usually they're coming because they're not feeling right or they do have an injury and someone told them yoga is going to be a great modality for them to try and they go and they go all out when they should be holding back and that they find themselves in places that aren't beneficial. So you have to allow yourself that like in surfing, we call it being a kook yeah. being like <laughs> not very good. I mean, everybody knows what a kook is, right? Yeah. You have to allow yourself that kook phase of learning whenever you try something new and like think about being a kook like you know oh, you're a kook worst. but you're you're you know you're a kook but you just i'm a kook i i just yeah. doing my best but it's so much fun i can't stop yeah that's how i would describe it like you're having a great time you're clueless but it's so much fun and you love it and you're gonna keep doing and you're gonna absolutely give your best so there are tools and tips we can learn from those that came before us so we don't have to stay in the kook phase for too long and I think if you're coming from one of these modalities, you have discipline, you know the consistency that it took to get this skill in your life. You can use those same lessons in yoga or in jujitsu, but you have to allow yourself that time to learn and to, to be a kook, to get it wrong, to make mistakes, to be okay with that and to kind of drop expectations of yourself and allow yourself to do something completely different, completely new, because a lot of times things, these are exactly that. I feel like that was one of the biggest, well, surfing taught me that as well, but jiu-jitsu in a different way of like, I, I truly had to let go of my expectations of what I, what I thought I should be able, what I thought I thought I should be able to do at a given point in like the journey, right? And yoga, I mean, yoga as well. The very first time that I went to yoga, 
I was blown away at how challenging it was given what I thought about athletic ability prior to that moment. And it surprised mm -hmm. me like a lot. But with that, I feel like there's, you know, there's two types of people that hit that challenge in life, whether it's in yoga or jujitsu or surfing or I don't know, business relationships, whatever. And you come up against that resistance and you lean forward into it more. Or other people, they hit that resistance and they go, I don't want any part of this. And that, that moment, I think, is one of the most valuable things that I've witnessed firsthand jujitsu teach other people, is they realize that part about themselves. And it, that's what makes it so, like, I almost feel like I'm, like, shouting from the rooftop sometimes when I talk about jujitsu and I feel silly. But at the same time, you, you witness it change someone's, like, demeanor or their, change their belief in themselves or change what they thought that they thought they were capable of. And it's because of, yeah, that willingness to be in that moment where you accept that you don't know anything. <laughs> yeah. Jiu-Jitsu saved my life. It completely transformed my mindset, what I thought was possible in my own realm. And I see that on the mat with, with kids in a huge way. And you see it in everyone that decides to dedicate themselves to the art. Like, it will make you better and you keep showing up. You're consistently showing up. The lessons are going to get pounded into you. <laughs> you can either learn the hard way and be like just butting your head against the wall or you take those, you know, you, you walk away from training and you have those deep reflective moments and you remember and you're like, ah, those light bulb moments and it starts to come together or you have a conversation with your coach and they're like, remember how you do this? It's a little bit like this. And they connect the dots for you, and suddenly there's growth. So how, I, th how do you how do you learn to respect your body? Because that's I this is something that I've been challenged with my whole life. Um, I've injured myself in yoga trying to mm -hmm. always, you know, talk about kook phase of of yoga for me was always trying to do the hardest pose no matter what. Always thinking that I had to, ch if, if there's an opportunity to do a handstand, I'm doing the handstand. And I learned over and over and over and over, and maybe that's the bigger teacher, is that it's not always the best thing to try the hardest pose. Sometimes the best thing to do is in the face of the option, just do child's pose. And I'm constantly battling that, how to respect my body, how to balance uh, training enough jujitsu so that I can get better, surfing enough so that I'm... I'm out in the water and in nature and enjoying it, strength training enough so that I'm not getting hurt in either of those two things. And given your experience and really being elite in these different areas, how do you learn to respect your body? It's such a, it's such a process because I think from an early age, we're taught to ignore the signals that our body gives us constantly. You know, you think about it every single day. It's often like, oh, I can wait to drink or, I'm hungry, but that, that can wait. Or I have to use the bathroom. I'm going to hold it. This is not convenient time. And all those these, all these things are necessary. We are training our nervous system and mind to kind of like ignore these signals, this input, and to prioritize our thinking mind instead of the felt experience in our body. And something that I think is so vital is to really get into that felt experience of your body and to truly know yourself. I'm sure... We, everyone knows about proprioception, the awareness of where your body is in space. But yoga teaches you something that's, I think, super invaluable, which is introspection 
or this awareness of your own inner world, your own inner needs and your own inner state. How many times do you just wake up and you're in your head and to the next thing and the to-do list and these things, but do we actually take the time to like not think, simply feel and breathe, right? Yeah. And even in, even as you stop to not think, feel and breathe, you start thinking. Right. So a practice that disconnects you from that, I think is extremely essential to actually put all the pieces together. And as humans, we become so amazingly good at going, that becomes our default state just to go and redline, to keep pushing. And I did that myself until I broke. Yeah. And I kept, that was the pattern until I started adding in more restorative things and these practices that allowed me to practice deep listening within, like yoga and the Shavasana at the end, that introspection time. So the rest of the time you're breathing, you're thinking, you're moving, it's very active, but it takes you to a state, the state where you can be still and thoughtless, or that's the intention. So after a few years of yoga, I started meditation and meditation was a huge game changer for me. And to be able to sit still, just doing nothing seemed like the most waste of a time option that a person could take in my mind. And that's how I view it. Like, that's how I used to view meditation. I'm like, why would I just sit there and do nothing? I could accomplish all this stuff on my list. And I'm just wasting time doing nothing. I would rather flick on Instagram and see stuff and learn little things and, and be amused and entertained than sit and do nothing. But then what I learned by sitting doing nothing is that, you know, I used to have these stories like, oh, you know, I can't meditate. My mind is too busy or that doesn't work for me. And we all like, we like to make these little stories and make ourselves feel very unique and special. Like we're the only humans on this planet that have brains like, like this and mine doesn't do that. Don't worry. Don't, I'm good. I'm good. But then you start to do the things and you have these experiences and it brings the pieces together. And what I learned through meditation is that I was simply holding a very unhealthy level of anxiety and stress subconsciously that until I started meditating and letting that go was just something I was completely aware of, completely unaware of. So by meditation like sitting and- is, uh, My mom for years, years tried to get me to meditate. And I always, I approached it as like, I approached it how I also used to disrespect sleep. Why would I sleep? I'll sleep when I did. Why should I meditate? It's a waste of time. Both those two things were very like, that's how, I, 10 minutes of sitting in silence just seemed like the, the biggest waste of time that I could have been spending doing something else productive towards my life, my income, whatever. Uh, and I was woefully, again, kook state, right? Woefully surprised at how wrong I was until I implemented that. And you realize the space that you get from what's going on in your life. And you had mentioned kind of prior to, to yoga and, and meditation, this like, idea of breaking what did breaking feel like constant um thoracic pain like thoracic outlet syndrome Fit, oh physical you, you did not mean mental breaking not like psychological trauma you meant physical no nah, not like body. psychological trauma. yeah like actually Got breaking down in, in my body and then you know i didn't have any i'm i'm grateful i haven't had like anxiety attacks or mental breakdowns and I really think that's because I've had these tools come into my life at the right time because they came in into my life at appropriate times 
because then when big things, events have happened in my life, I had these tools to help me navigate through them. Your breathing and and your practice. Breath work, the practice, meditation, like, you know, losing someone close to you and you just feel so lost and sad. It is. Coming to your yoga mat is, is like therapy. It's, it's, it's medicine. So these things like. interesting the, like the, how do I say it? In this day, in this current like state, right? It's, it's so easy to find information on what you should be doing to optimize X or Y. And one of the things you come across is routines. So everyone, you know, 10 years ago, everyone's always asking, What's your routine? What do you do in the morning? What are the fir- how do you spend the first half hour? And you can start to stack that list up really quick. And that hour that could be spent becoming present and d- doing wh- what you're talking about, coming, coming in and like not thinking, even though we both know that's impossible, but some sort of state of, of present development for your actually what's going on in life. You just keep stacking those lists of things that you need to do and you actually get further away from the end result, which is just being aware. And those little notes like breathing and uh, an ability to sit still is, is so over, like, <laughs> it's so important and so challenging because you're flooded with thought when you start. It's overwhelming how much that it's like, I was described to me once as like staring at a highway and all the cars are going by and that's your, your mind's highway and those are all thoughts. And when you begin to practice more, you start to realize that it's not just that chaos, but you can actually see the individual cars start to move and realize your distance from it. How long did it take for you to bring something like your breathing and, and your meditation from an idea or something you were resistant towards to actually implement that in your life and then feel, whoa, this is having an impact and an impact that I never expected. I think before I started um, doing yoga, I started doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu competitions and I had so much anxiety from competing, like so much nervous energy and it was something I'd never ex- experienced before. I didn't have a panic attack, but I had like so much anxiety that I would make myself sick before. I'd still go do it. I'd still yeah. go complete, go compete. But like that lead up and that kind of like, as soon as I got on the mat and trained and had my first fight and got the jitters out of the way, I'm sure you know the feeling. Like, it's all good. You're like, okay, we're good. Now I can go. But up until that point, like, it's literally your brain is thinking fight or flight like on the way to the comp you're in your car driving you're like you know if i had a car accident then i wouldn't have to go and you just have these crazy thoughts that come through your mind and i'm sitting there witnessing this thinking like am i mentally insane what is going on with me (laughs) so i literally went and spoke with a sports psychologist because i'm like i'm having these experiences that i've never had before in my life and i don't get it i'm a really calm relaxed person like and yet i'm physically feeling ill and she's like well you're doing that with your thoughts why don't you just (laughs) remind yourself because and she talked to me and I told her about like what I was doing to prepare for these competitions and I was all in you know I'm training six days a week I've changed my diet I'm like (laughs) training outside of jujitsu for strength and conditioning and like making sure like all my pieces are in a row and she's listening to this and she's like well it sounds like you couldn't be more prepared for what you're about to do so 
with all of this preparation, there is always a level of uncertainty and that's life. Life is uncertain. And if you just sit there and focus on the negative outcomes, it'll make you make yourself sick. So she gave me box breathing as an exercise, you know, four in, hold, four out, hold. And told, it gave me this little list of things to focus and to visualize before I competed. And the very next comp, I just smashed it. It was like night and day because I had these tools of breath and where to focus my attention and my thoughts. And that was extremely powerful. And so when I started practicing yoga later on, it was, they had these same concepts. They're like, we want you to think about this, set intentions. And intention is a way that you create what you want by focusing on the positive. I'm like, oh, that's kind of like what the sports psych was in. I can do, I can do that. And then when they were in, in doing breath work, there were some weird ones where you stick out your tongue and make noises yeah. and this and that. But it's like, I had already felt the effects of breath work. And they explained that to me, like, we're doing this to have an effect that you can feel. And I'm like, that's cool. It's like getting, getting high in your own supply. I can understand yeah. that. Let's go. So I was lucky because I didn't always view yoga in this way. I thought it was super weird and I would never do it. I was like, yep. Yoga's for the weird, for it's always the, the things hippies. that you have the the most resistance to are always right? the things you end up like going in on the most you know sometimes and for me yoga was one of those things that i just couldn't ever see myself doing and i didn't understand why anyone would do it, it seemed weird and who knew all those crazy hippies were right it feels awesome yeah the the breathing thing to me has always been fascinating because it's one of the few responses in the body that you can decide to control but also runs completely autonomous so you can go through the entire day and just breathe which is what 99 percent of the world does or you can decide to do something like box breathing and actually stop and think about it and do it you can't do that with your heart rate you can't go i'm going to beat you know 30 seconds and then pause and then that it's something that you have control of. so everyone has it in their toolbox it's available to every single person listening or just walking around and it has a massive effect on what you're doing if you're diving if you're swimming if you're doing jujitsu and you go in go into any academy and look at people on the mat and this this most skilled scariest people are the ones who don't even have their mouth open who are completely calm in their face in the face of danger and fighting and then on the breathwork side of it i too have had some I mean, <laughs> you can go off the deep end on wild experiences where you're literally just laying on your back and breathing through your mouth to think that the body is capable of producing such an intense, truly intense experience with nothing else is, it is fascinating how powerful breathing is. You know, the ancient yogis and not even so ancient ones have always said that there are no chemical substances on this planet that you could not create through your own breath work and focus within yourself. So like as far as pharmaceutical drugs or even illicit drugs, like you can represent or reproduce those same results and feelings. And I think through Wim Hof and the studies that he's done with universities and how he's proven that he can take very in, infectious diseases into his system and by focusing his breath and mind completely eliminate them and not let them affect him i think human beings are capable of so much more than we're told or led to believe 
And I actually also think that a lot of these things and secrets are simply unlocked by being consistent with subtle practices, subtle focus techniques, breath work, and these type of things. So let's maybe maybe we can unpack that a little bit. Like you always, I mean, I think people would probably anyone who's done a yoga class would probably walk away from that and and be able to talk about how they thought about breathing, you know, for the first, maybe they thought about it because it's common that an instructor is going to give you the inhale and the exhale relative to the movement. But you look around the room, most of the time, everyone's struggling so hard to do the next hard thing that their breathing patterns are all whacked out anyway, and they, and they don't have control over it. But how do you like, where's a good place to start? in a yogi or, or in a yoga setting to start to understand that relationship that you have with your breathing and then be able to, you know, down the road, apply that to something else that's, that's much more dynamic in the setting of, of jujitsu or maybe even surfing. Um, how do you get someone to start to bridge those gaps? Mm, that's a good question because I often, you know, in the yoga practice, I am trying to challenge people physically and ask them to do complicated and interesting things while being mindful and connected to a nasal breath, right? So not breathing through their mouth, not going to fight or flight, staying cool, calm and collected, and you're doing these challenging things. And personally, I notice anytime things become impossible or start to get really intense, it's usually because I'm holding my breath or yeah. not breathing deeply i'm breathing shallow and quick or i'm holding and as i'm watching people are always holding their breath as soon as they go to try something they're holding their breath so the way i teach is very specific and even my theme for this week or my collective intention for my students is to let your breath each breath your inhale and exhale each part of your breath lead your movements so your transitions in and out of your poses and not to move before your breath because if you're moving before your breath, you're not being led by your breath. Right. You're being led by your arm or your leg or whatever. Your breath should lead your movement. So if you have a really good teacher who's paying attention and watching you, they'll immediately start to remind you. I mean, like, why are you not breathing? And then after the, after the breath and your breath is flowing, then it's other subtle things. Like, why are you squeezing your face like that? <laughs> why are you biting your tongue? Like, and then it's other aspects of these I like to call them like steam vents or escape valves. You put something under pressure, enough pressure builds that it's going to escape out of the weakest point. And you think about the human body as a structure. We all have these steam vents. Hold good posture. You have a bad ankle. That bad ankle is probably the first thing to give if you're to hold under time. So to bring your awareness to these places where those spots could be and to fortify them, and one of them is the breath, but then once you're connected to the breath, then it's just awareness really starts to build. So I think the breath is the first and foundational piece. And as soon as you start to notice how your body reacts as you're doing things, and if you break, make your breath the most important thing, not the end result, but how you get there by breathing your way in, it changes everything. You watch the most advanced practitioners and the most advanced movement people, watch how they use their breath. Just as you said, as you walk into the room, jujitsu no. players, you watch the white belts. They're like, <gasps> and they're they're gasping and dying. And the what are the black belts doing? Yeah, chilling on their back, rolling around, breathing through their nose with a smile. Like it says a lot. So 
I was training with uh, someone the other day, and they're they're very new, and they're have like a pretty good wrestling foundation, like the high school wrestler, young, they're athletic, and the brand new to jujitsu. And they were training with someone, and they were going, you just described to a T, right? It was like open mouth, heavy breath, tons of anticipation, a lot of pretension before whatever they did. And after I said, hey, uh, come over here. We, I was like, first, do you have any respiratory issues? And they were like, no. I was like, okay, cool. We'll do a roll, five minutes. Every time you breathe out of your mouth, we're going to pause, reset, and start over. And however long it's to take you to get back to a place where you can breathe through their nose. And they were like, okay, cool. The pace immediately decreased 60%. Everything that they did became more pragmatic, more thoughtful. It wasn't a war, right? It wasn't the craziest role they'd ever had. But we got to the end, and we had to stop a couple times. And it was a moment where they saw what breathing is doing in the, in the time that they're doing the thing. And it was a really cool moment because you do see how much power it has over the rest of the body. So they started focusing on one thing, and now everything smoothed out. Everything became more efficient in the moment. Maybe not the, uh, no subs or, or no like crazy transitions. But if you can take that and then apply it to anything else in life, like anxiety over a competition, anxiety over having a tough conversation with somebody that you love, whatever that is, and you have this thing in your pocket 24-7 anytime you want to use it to pause, it's like the biggest secret <laughs> in the world. That's crazy. And it's just under your nose at all times. One breath. And it was uh, my first time ever doing like real cold therapy. It was stripped away from me so damn fast. Like that was a crazy moment. How, how even when you practice it all the time and you implement it and then you put yourself in an environment that truly physiologically challenges you beyond what you're comfortable with and you're trying to get that back, it's insane. Mm. Yeah, the cold is an amazing tool. And when did you I, get exposed to that? <laughs> I actually did a Wim Hof event here in Melbourne. Uh, I'm say like 2017 or something. It was some yeah. years ago. And he came and at a big convention center, like had this event. He had drummers and music. And we did, I think we did like a good hour of breath work. And he hyped everyone up. And then we went outside. This is winter in Melbourne. It's already cold. And had these giant blow-up pools that he had filled with ice. And everyone got in up into their neck. And, you know, he's so charismatic. And he's kind of like tribal wild man running around in like a, a grass skirt and pounding his drum. And just like so pumped and so, so much enthusiasm. And that was kind of my first, because I'd heard about it and never done it. And that was my first exposure in a proper ice bath. And ever since I've been dabbling and just kind of adding it in, I actually just purchased a, a cheap inflatable ice bath the other week and I put it up on my deck and I've been using it. And I've been back and forth on that exact thing. Yeah. I was like, although otherwise I, wanna... I have to go to a recovery center and it's, I know, it but it's such a pain in the ass. It is. There's one, uh, I gotta, one here in Encinitas that's sick. It's got like a, the full 39 degree pool right next to a hot tub. But I'm like, it's a pain in the butt to go. And then the memberships, to be fair, just don't line up for what they're offering. You know, they're riding the hype train right now is behind cold therapy. 
but yeah it should be a it should be a ten dollar membership if we're really being honest. yeah yeah you're jumping in a pool of water for real quick and like yeah. like what's the max time someone's gonna spend in a in a cold plunge like if they do 20 minutes they're like damaging themselves yeah, you're like dead. so you're like you're literally like 10 minute slots for people yeah no yeah, i get it 260 dollars a month here in australia um one session if you want to do like contrast therapy infrared sauna and cold plunge is about 80 bucks 80 bucks 80 bucks that for is... one hour for a one hour session I... or one hour in the sauna and then 20 minutes in the plunge i just i mean i feel bad for these business owners because when the hype train dies and then all you're left with are the people that really actually use this stuff and they're not doing it just for <laughs> social media content you don't have a business like yeah i think it's... um we you have the sea, you have a cold shower, but then I, to be honest, I really want to buy one of these at home, proper self-contained cold plunges just to have it. I've my few, of my friends have a freezer, you know, like yep. just the lay down freezer. I was just texting my brother's like a super crafty uh, builder. My dad's a builder. And I was like, all right, I think I found a way to do it. I'm pretty sure you can build a really good one with a filtration system and the whole like wood paneling for like 1200 bucks and it does yeah. everything. But the <laughs> I was looking at it the other day and I'm like, if I get this wrong electrically, I'd kill myself. <laughs> yeah, you want to make sure you have somebody test it, make sure it's all good. But I think you could totally pull it off. Yeah, it's like $3,000 for the cold plunge that I'm looking at for the cheaper one. And it's like, it's beautiful, but I don't like... Have you seen the um, porcelain (laughs) tub? Have you seen the porcelain? It's called plunge, but they make like... Yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking about. That's exactly what I'm thinking. Same. And I was like... So nice. I was looking outside. I was like, okay, I could move that. I think I could get it here. (laughs) I got space for it right here. Yeah. I'm like, maybe I could sell this and... Because... When I so the very first time that I did that, I was shocked at one like once I got over the like oh I'm gonna do this. You know, it's kind of like going like you said competition. You go on the mat as soon as you slap hands, you're in a tournament. Now you're just you're there. You're doing the thing. When I had so much anxiety about doing it, about actually getting in the tub before I started, because for years like I grew up in Colorado, I skied competitively for 12 years. Every single trainer at the time was like, post, you know, post skiing, post training, utilize this in your regiment, utilize it. It will help you recover. It will reduce inflammation. And I was like, absolutely not. That sounds seriously (laughs) horrible. And so I had all this built up animosity about it. And through doing a lot of breathing and breathwork practice and stuff, I was like, you know what? I can do a little routine and, and like make myself do this. And when I got out after doing the actual like 39 degrees, I got out and I was like, whoa, that actually was a life changing experience and instantly was hooked instantly. How I felt the, the mental, um, the mindset part of it. What was your first experience was doing it live, right? In the wind. Yeah. That was my first you, experience you, doing it live. And it was a bit of peer pressure, right? Because it's not like you can back out. You're doing it with like right. a huge group of people. And you don't want to be the first one to jump out. So it's just like, it's uncomfortable. It's cold. But they're sitting there standing over you, like hands on your shoulders, like, you got this. And everyone's kind of cheering. So it's like this not peer pressure, but a supportive environment that helps get you through it. And then I started training with this uh, 
a trainer and he trained at a place called Earth Sea Sky. And they were one of the first performance centers that were had a it was like a jacuzzi, but they had it to a refrigerant. So it was like four degrees. We're talking Celsius. It's oh, four degrees was Celsius. Like, you could die. And then and then um circulating, right? Yep. So it feels even colder. And they had it next to a jacuzzi. And he would do strength and conditioning sessions and absolutely murder me and then have me do contrast therapy. Yep. And I would walk away ready for, for my evening training session of jujitsu. So I'd go train lunchtime, train with him in the afternoon, be totally done, like already trained, so spent. He'd have me do that, and I would feel good enough to go train again at night. And that alone just blew my mind. I'm like, okay, that's if that feeling is it, that's enough, like sold. Yeah. But it makes you feel so alive and so good. Yeah. And I really love doing contrast, like hot and cold or yeah. vascular jogging. And yeah. like <laughs> the the, uh, the medical benefits just make so much sense. But just the way that you feel says it all. I think that there's this is totally woo woo and like not at all on brand with scientific anything. But <laughs> I, I do think that there is something to this yin and yang balance of opposites. Like there's I feel an internal draw towards opposites in life and whether that's uh peak exertion right like competing against someone else who's trying to hurt you and then massage therapy or cold exposure to like the basically borderline hypothermia and then forcing yourself to sit in a sauna well past that comfort level and grinding Mm -hmm. out the last little bit like for some reason the opposite things are always have always drawn me and i think that there's there must be something about our construction that just aside from the scientific benefit, like, I don't know, spiritually is a jump. Yeah. Well, subconsciously humans are always kind of searching for equanimity or balance. And whether that's, if you injure yourself and say you break, break your leg and suddenly one leg is now an inch shorter than the other. Your body is an angle, but your head's never going to sit at that angle, right? right? What does your head do? Your vision will never allow itself to be offset. It'll always balance itself out. The rest of your body will do some crazy weird turns so that your head can sit straight (laughs) and that your head can be on straight and so that your eyes are level, right? You see this. You see this with people with injuries or... (laughs) Walk around an airport. (laughs) Yeah. So you see this a lot. I think it's our nature to want to find balance and equanimity and you find pleasure in these things that take you this way, the one extreme, you have to then go the other way to find your middle path. Otherwise you're hanging out in this extreme zone. I think it's amazing that the samurai to be a proper samurai, you had to be skilled in all of the martial arts, but you had to choose something like calligraphy or flower arrangements to stay soft ikigai to stay in yeah to ikigai to stay in in that middle path that middle zone that perfect area so i'm the same i love training and then i love body work and i've found that jujitsu is my yang it allows me such a positive way to release this energy that's really inside of me and it's something that before i found jujitsu i just kind of kind of ignored and pushed to the side like 
I avoid confrontation and I don't like to fight. But at the same time, like I love jujitsu and I'm an MMA fan. And yeah. personally, I'm not the person, I'm never the person to go and pick a fight. Like I'll stand up for what I believe in, but I would rather diffuse the situation and talk someone down than then get physical with them because I don't see the need for that. Yeah. At the same time, I really like jujitsu and I really like fighting. What? <laughs> and I, what and, I, and I'm, I'm, and somehow I'm, I found my way and I'm kind of good at it and I really, really enjoy it. It's really fun. What, so it's what just like it, uh, about <laughs> jujitsu. Like, what did jujitsu give to you that surfing professionally didn't? Because I've, I, in preparing for this, I saw that like a, a dream of yours was to become a professional surfer that traveled the world. That's what you wanted. I mean, you got that, and you did it professionally. That's insane. I mean, you're, you're professional surfing to be elite in that sport is of a very, very small group of people globally. It's an extremely challenging thing to get good at and then to do it on the elite level and then also be good enough to where you're traveling for it and, and companies and brands and sponsors actually see that in you. To achieve what you wanted and then realize that the, maybe you wanted something else or like, what was it? Why, what did jiu-jitsu give to you that that didn't? It, it was like, wow, like, I got to double down on this. This is my thing. I think I was really lucky. I grew up on Kauai with a crew of people at the time that were just pushing the limits of surfing. And I was nowhere as good as them. And I wasn't even noticed until I went to LA and then I got sponsors there. And it was really someone truly looked after me and saw some potential, but just really hooked me up. And that was what sent me on my path of traveling. But I found jujitsu and what, so long story, shorten it really quick. Oh, we traveled, got time. <laughs> traveled as a surfer, um, met a girl in Australia, settled down, got married. She needed to finish school. So moved with her to Melbourne, which is a colder city. I was loved in Sydney, living at the beach, surfing every day. And I went from very active lifestyle to cold winter in Melbourne didn't really have any friends, was still surfing, but not as much. And after a year, a friend of mine came from Hawaii to visit me, picks me up at the airport, and he's like, holy shit, dude, you're so fat. What happened? Damn. And like, it was just a change of lifestyle, change of environment. I had put on quite a bit of weight. Did you he's know like, it, All right. or was that your I, I didn't realize. I was like, no, I'm not. He's like, dude, I've known your whole life. You're <laughs> fat. Like, we cannot let this happen. And so I still had surfing sponsors. I was still surfing, but I had put on some weight. And it wasn't just like I had a pop belly. It was like everywhere, just globally bigger. Yeah. And um, <laughs> like uh, 100 kilos, like 102, 102 103. Pounds, something. Yeah. So pretty big. What it, and right now I'm like 75 to 80. And then okay, when I was. So you were. Yeah, you were. Bigger. Yeah, much bigger, much yeah. bigger than I am now. And like when I was actively competing in jujitsu, I would always fight lightweight. So 73. Wow. How do how so, are you feeling mentally? Like I, your friend comes and tells you this, right? And so it's like, oh, whoa, you're someone I really. I, I took it with a grain of salt. Me. Yeah, I took it with a grain of salt, and I took it that he actually cared. Yeah, because he said it in a funny, he said it in a playful way, but then I was like, no, I'm not. And then he's like, yeah, dude, like <laughs> you have. And then it was kind of like a, a 
didn't really bum me out to be honest when i think about it i wasn't sad about it i was just like huh he's right it's a hard it's a hard thing to that's it's a, a hard, hard pill to, to kind about. of swallow yeah or, but or he was just her. like it there was no hesitation it was just like he's my bro he saw me the first one of the first things he said when he saw me he's like holy shit dude you're so fucking fat what have you been doing you know <laughs> i was like oh hey bro so can't be bummed at him because he was right and he took yep, me to jiu-jitsu yeah and um i got beat up so i'm 212 pounds and i go to a uh, intro class and there's like some of the kids from the kids class like the better kids from the kids class are doing the adults class and they roll with me the first time and i get smoked by like a little girl and a young boy like they're rear naked choke and arm barring me but it's fun it's not malicious or or nasty in any way like it's we're tapping hands and i'm laughing about it because i'm like yeah. i've watched ufc no way these kids are going to do that stuff to me and like i had to tap like a hundred times and i was like okay if i'm getting tapped up by children <laughs> i should probably you know i'm a i'm a 212 pound man here who thinks he knows his business and i'm getting submitted by children let's 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 go back and learn what's going on. And um, so that's what got me hooked was that technique could actually overcome strength. And that was proven to me over and over as soon as I stepped on the mat, but it was fun. And I'd never felt my heart beat like that in my life. And because my friend dropping a, in like, like big double overhead sets, not even sorts. being like scared shitless because you're getting it closed out by like huge yeah. waves, getting caught inside type of thing. Like that gets your heart pumping. But not like when you're rolling with something it's different because you're serving you can slow down when you paddle and take a breath and be like okay and prepare <laughs> and training i think there's something something to do with because i've talked to a lot of people about this at this point it's something to do with the unpredictable nature of someone else who's a human like in surfing if you paddle out and and you're like oh fuck like you look out the back and you know you're you're like i'm just gonna get <laughs> wrecked it's you versus nature nature is such a big force it's just you can't really comprehend and you in that moment you just become so small and it's like okay i gotta just survive this whereas when it's another person there is part of this like uh your egos are fucking with each other and there's something about that that like there's part of you deep down that believes that you shouldn't be had by this other person whether they're skilled or not and that clash of mindsets and and people it just it's such a unique thing it is very interesting you're fighting someone it's a paradox right like so you're fighting someone yet you're trying to stay cool and calm and think and your body's telling you to run away or or do crazy stuff and yet you have to be concise um it is such a you know to this day there's nothing like it i've never experienced anything that makes you feel like that beat of your heart like training jiu-jitsu did you feel like as you got more skilled and you accepted like okay to become a practitioner of this to to live this life i have to accept that that strength and skill are different things and i have to start mm -hmm. to master the relationship between these two and learn when to use strength and learn when to develop skill and did you feel that heart rate like the heartbeat things start to fall off as you got better because the better you get at jujitsu, the harder it is to find, unless you're actively seeking equal level, uh, like competitive matches or, or you're going places. If you're a black belt in an academy, unless there's other black belts, 
generally you're kind of the best person in the room. So the likelihood that you find those matchups is less and less and less, the better you get. So did you feel that like fall as you kept going with it or, or did you challenge yourself to maintain that? I challenged myself and started traveling. And as I continued training jujitsu around blue belt, I, I, I don't know, I got a itch and I was like, you know what? I want to go to worlds and yeah. I want to go to Brazil and I want to compete in Brazil. Like I love this art and I want to immerse myself in it. And I had saved some money from surfing and doing what I've been doing. And I was just like, you know what? It was an interesting time because I was married, but my visa at the time for about six months, I couldn't work just because the, I was in transition in from, Australia. from, yeah, from tourist visa to permanent residency visa. And in that time, there's like this leeway at the, and I couldn't work. And so because I couldn't work, I was like, well, I'm just going to focus on training, full-time training. I'm going to focus on this competition and do my best. I'm going to do that. And money wasn't a big worry at the time. I was like, I'm good on money. I have my savings. I'm not going to use it all, but I'm going to do my best to like travel and enjoy this time. So that's what I did. And as soon as I really put all my focus and time, energy into training and traveling, it was like, oh, go to Brazil. And I had also kind of started like a little gi company in around 2007 with a with a mate, started making some kimonos, and we were sponsoring Felipe Costa. And so when I went to Brazil, I was Felipe Costa's sponsor, his gi sponsor, and so I did Rio Open, and he literally took me around to a bunch of different academies around Rio, all the whole Brasa team, and I got to meet all these amazing jiu-jitsu people, and I was wow. really taken into the fold. And not only that, like, you're hanging out and I love training. So I was on the mat three times a day, every day, learning from all these guys. And I created some relationships there. And that just built. The next year I went and did Pan Ams and I did a training camp with Kyotera because that's where nice. Felipe went. And I got to learn from like Kyotera and Samir and like this whole crew of lightweight black belts went and trained for a month together. And I got to spend some time doing that with them. And after that time, I went, came back to Australia and I picked up a sponsor and I started hanging out with Kit Dale a lot. We had the same sponsor and that sponsor took care of us in a crazy, amazing way. He paid for, paid for flights and accommodation and trips just to go train with him. And it was yeah. kind of ridiculous. It was epic. Better, so, better than surf compensation. <laughs> it was at the time. It was, it was pretty wild. And um, so the owner of this company just loved training. He was fully obsessed with it. He would fly a bunch of pros to come train with him. And then he would also pay for our comps and things like that. So me and Kit had this idea, like we want to go and do a couple comps in America and do a training camp at Atos. And in the guy's San like, Diego. in San Diego. Yeah, and yeah. so let's go. So spent, did that twice. Spent a couple of months down at Atos in San Diego, training with Andre and the team and getting flogged. Yeah. And... <laughs> You know, like, I remember the first month we went there, it was there before their big headquarters, before they had moved. And it was like, the Mendez brothers were there. Claudio Colossans, Roberto Toshi, and his brother. And like, the squadron of black belts that were there were pretty much the best in the world at the time. And here I was, a purple belt, and I got to train with them every single day and ask them questions and hang out with them. And that time created some amazing relationships but 
you're the nail for a long time and it lifts you up like getting smashed by all those guys like it just levels you up you start to learn to defend you start to hold your own against them and eventually you start to be competitive against them when you're in that environment in that room long enough and so i'm really lucky that i didn't just stay in a big fish in a small pond yeah. i explored and got out there and traveled and Later on, we opened a yoga business and that opened other travel. And whenever I travel, I usually kind of reach out, even if it's in like Greece or Italy, across Europe, I always send an email. If I see there's an academy, even in these remote towns, I'll be like, yo, I just want to drop in. Yeah. Just come train with you guys. And usually when that happens, people are so welcoming. They're like, oh my God, please teach Dude. class. It's it's amazing. The community in Jiu-Jitsu is so, so inviting and so inclusive and so amazing. It's, it's so, something like I... <laughs> not like a very religious person but i always joke like it, it almost is like that level of community like Cultiness. i'll go somewhere <laughs> yeah i like I, when i was in so i lived on Kauai in Hanalei for like two years when i was younger when hurricane and nikki hit my dad moved down there to help rebuild and so we got in with locals okay. we, our whole family moved down there and gotcha. when i was back out there this past year i went and trained at Longman, and i was blown away at just like how welcoming bruno was how cool all the students were and then that's happened like i dude i one time i was driving up to mammoth and i drive from san diego it's a long drive it's almost seven hours and i was like i, I can't sit in a car everything i know about movements like if you sit in a car for seven hours you're gonna like die by the time Slowly you get there. dying yeah so i found this little jujitsu academy in bishop and i reached out to him on instagram i was like hey i'm you know i'm gonna be coming up in the night um, is it cool to do a drop in? You're happy to pay a fee, whatever. And they were like, oh, dude, fee, absolutely not. Like, so stoked that you're coming by. I went and it, it snowed that night so bad that they closed the road from Bishop to Mammoth. And so one of the dudes was a police officer. And so he's calling, radioing to try and find if the roads are going to be open or not. And then this other people, they're like, hey, man, look, if you get stuck here, we all got couches. You're welcome to say you can figure it out in the morning. And I was like, man that how nice is that yeah. that's just so cool like you what, what else it's how, how the world, the world should do? be <laughs> shouts how the world should be but unfortunately it's not and that's a rarity these days but it's such a beautiful thing and i've experienced the same thing like small island in greece yeah. one jujitsu academy <laughs> people were just so stoked to have me there literally wouldn't let me go out to for a meal after without accompanying me and paying like yeah. they were just like no 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 and it was it's just so beautiful so to know that that's out there and sometimes it can feel a little intimidating as any built you know yeah. to go to a new academy and just show up but if you show up with good energy and positive yeah. vibes and you're there to train and just be humble and be a part of it yeah. they want you there like if you show up to the academy that I'm at, we want you there. And all the other academies that I've been to, that same, that's encouraged. Please bring your good vibes. We'd love to train you with you. Let's go. And that's not a feeling that you get through most things. There's an intimacy with jujitsu, and it's kind of weird to call it that. Because, I think I get it though. But it is. Mean. But it is. There's a closeness it's the and a connection it's and a contact. Like people practice yoga and are next to the same people each and every morning for decades and do not have the same connection that jujitsu people create within a week of training together. 
know. It, it's something to do. I forget who I was talking to about this, but it, it's something to do with the physical. Like we were going talking about earlier, kind of these innate human um, underlying themes of like just being human, right? One of them is contact. I mean, from birth, right? You're you're born in the contact, world, yeah. and then you're contacted by your parent or your loved one, and that becomes something that children look for. You want closeness, and you want comfort and love. And I think it's <laughs> this is such a tangent for jujitsu, but I really do think it's true that there's some level of it's that that contact element does something to people. It really does. It and does. you don't have and to have a weirdness that, to that. It's just babies that aren't touched when they're when they're little kids. This is in my head. I might be wrong. So <laughs> take this with a grain of salt. But basically, kids that are denied touch from an early age become serial killers, essentially. Like, it is not conducive to being a well-integrated human. And no, so, and look at, I mean, to, not to equate us to animals, but look at any any animal kingdom, right? There's so much of that at, at the, like, their early stages, when they're when they're born, when they're figuring out their pack or they're figuring out their tribe or their whatever, how they interact with the adult, th that's such a part of the first weeks, months of being alive in the world. Yeah, and there's a level uh, when you're rolling with people. There's this level, uh, unspoken level of trust, mm -hmm. and then that's reinforced every time there's a tap. Right. So yeah. like. You're kind of, you're you're coming into this environment where there's a lot of trust involved. You're doing something that where you could get very hurt. Yeah, you could pass off. And you're putting putting your health and safety into another person's hands. Yeah. And you're I trust you. I'm gonna try and do the same thing to you, and you trust me. We're gonna do this thing. And then on a rare occasion you feel some you will roll with someone where you don't feel they're worthy of your trust. Because you can feel they have what feels to be negative intentions or bad desires or whatever it is, <laughs> bad intent. And that's a felt thing. And you're like, yeah. Oh, you did this thing. And, and it's different if you're training with someone and they whack you in the forehead. There's an, if you're training with someone skilled, it's an, Oh man, that's a total accident. And there's acknowledgement of that. Right. Whereas if not like people's personalities come out of the mat in such a way you cannot hide. The best yeah, part. if you're if if you're a jerk, it's gonna show up right away. If you're a kind, humble, compassionate person, that's gonna show up too. So I think a true warrior is in touch with all aspects of their personality and being, and what you allow to come through needs to be focused. But I think that is one of the reasons that we become so close to people in jujitsu because you see them without their mask. Even the mass of their words and how they hold themselves, when they come out and that you roll with them and there's no words, they take off the mask. You need to see them in their most raw form. Well, and That's, on top wow. of that, you can watch that change. You mm. can see someone who comes in and they start with that untrustworthy, kind of egotistical, negative intent, and you can see them be humbled so many times over and over that it actually starts to adjust how they are. And be, yeah. they become the trust thing that you, you said it so perfectly. It's the reinforcement. And if you think about, I mean, I would venture to say how a lot of people probably interact with others in their life that just not trust in their life. To have trust in relationships is a hard thing. It's a hard mm -hmm. thing. Whether you love them, whether they're your parents, uh, loved ones, significant other, it doesn't matter. Tr trust is the hardest thing to manage and the quickest thing to destroy a relationship.
and the fact that every single day in jujitsu it's instantly represented and then reinforced over and over and over i've never thought of it that way but it it, it totally does solidify that and it, it creates a community around it that's really powerful i mean to trust your well-being your neck the health of your neck right with someone else you kind of know is pretty mind-blowing but think of your training partners that you've known for years like most of my training training partners that have gone through the ranks with me, like there are people I would rely on and trust if if shit went down, because I've the first seen them. Call. Right, because I've yeah. seen them in the most difficult moments and challenges, and seen how they how they react and how they overcome and how they move through them. So would you very say that yoga yoga has similar uh, properties in terms of? It's exposure of that, like true, the person behind the mask, if we use that example. You see, you see it? that when you look across the you room? See that? I see that in people, their personalities come out a lot. And as I watch them practice, but I see that as the teacher, but as a fellow practitioner, it would be a waste of your time to try and see this and watch this on other people. It's more felt. You can feel that you have these experiences. You create these internal shifts. But I watch people, like so many people are completely unaware of the expression on their face or even that they mutter little things when they're frustrated or things are challenging. <laughs> I hear it all. Yeah. Like there's this one lady that every time she like does a certain pose, she's like, I'll fucking fix it. She's like talking shit under her breath, but out loud. And I can hear her and I'm right next to her. And once I, you know, I'm like, I can hear you, Christine, you know? And she's like, and she looks so startled. She's like, huh? She doesn't even it's know. Like, she doesn't even realize she's saying it out loud. It's this internal dialogue. It's coming out of her mouth. She's putting it out into the world. And she's not even aware. Just like yoga brings up a lot and reveal to you how you react in certain situations. And like, I like to not ever poke at people or make fun of them, but I like to show them with a bit of humor to be light. Be like, huh? Why are you chewing off your face? Like, we're just doing some yoga. Why don't you chill out? What's happening? You know, it's, it's really, really interesting to watch. I feel that yoga does reveal this to people for people. It helps to show them themselves, but you see it on jujitsu in a very exaggerated, amplified way. You see it much quicker. Yeah. The, the breathing. In yoga, everyone's like, I'm calm. I'm so so yogic and collected i'm so kind right, can we can and you we see actually, them you see them get in their their car and they're like flipping can everyone we talk off about like this like i gotta address this with you because you're a professional and you, you really know what you're talking about when it comes to yoga I've, I've done yoga for for years and years and the the qualm i have or the thing that i always kind of walk away with it is a little it like sticks with me and i don't know i don't really want to call it phoniness but there seems to be this like, I'm totally fine attitude. Mm. And then right behind that, it's just calamity. It's complete <laughs> chaos. And you know it. And it's so apparent. What yeah. is it? Like, why do you think yoga draws that that person? And, and maybe, look, this is true for instructors. It's true for, I don't know. It, it's probably anything where you are uh, to appear as though you have it together is the mm -hmm. worst <laughs> state to actually right. be together. Like, right. What is that? The thing is, I think if you have it together and you're authentic, that comes through 
and that feeling uh, you just described isn't there. Right. But if someone's just barely holding on and they're like a goose or a swan, you know, they're so calm up top and down, downstairs, they're kicking like crazy. We can feel that. And although you can't put your finger on it, it's inauthenticity. You know what I mean? They're inauthenticity. 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 Thank you. So I think we often go to a yoga practice and we see the yoga teacher and they're asking us to consider some lofty concepts and aspirations, right? Peace and love to all beings. Like what? <laughs> okay. That's a, that's a lofty aspiration. It's beautiful. Don't get me wrong. I'm not dissing it. It's beautiful, but that's a lofty kind of out there aspiration. What, but the whole idea and if you actually get to the root of what they're saying and what they're trying to put out there, it's really positive and it's really nice. But I think a lot of people are inexperienced and they're sharing from an inexperienced place and that comes off as inauthentic. Yeah. So I like to be as real as I can with my students. And as I'm explaining, like, let's focus on being calm, kind and compassionate to others and, and these high aspirations, right? I also like to remind them that this is a work in progress. This is what I'm asking myself to do. And I would never ask you to do something that I'm not aspiring for myself. And I think that's I think the that's sign the of a good, a good teacher. That is the key. That's the it. That's it. The transparency. The difference. Your, your, that's it. Your willingness as, uh, as the leader or the teacher to be transparent about the fact that you're a fucking human too. And that's yes. the part that, that crushes me is I'll be there and I'm like, I'm not taking spiritual advice from you because I can see how your life's a mess. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like all and and look, as a person attending the class, you don't really even want that much. You just want them to go, "Hey, I'm I'm trying to." You know, it's that. It's that That's transparency it. that like, "Hey, we're all trying to figure this out. This thing's crazy." And I think it's unspoken, but when a teacher does that, you feel comfortable. You trust them. Right. Because they're not putting up a mask. They're not pretending to be a perfect human, which is actually completely impossible. And when someone puts themselves on that pedestal and holds themselves there and doesn't allow themselves to be human, we can't connect to them. And so I think that is so important as a yoga teacher and something like I train teach people to be yoga teachers. It's part of what I do now. I teach teacher trainings and is one of the there are so many yoga teachers out there because there's a lot of trainings out there. But in my opinion, there are a lot of people that have not put the time and effort to be authentically themselves as they teach. And so that's what you have experienced and many others have experienced as this feeling of the teacher's just like, I know you're not that. I know what you're saying isn't authentically you. Like, I swear, and it comes out, and I'm me, and I mess up words, and I say things wrong, and I'm human, and I and I literally say, "Sorry, didn't mean to say that." Let's do this instead. Like it happened last night as I was teaching a class. I was like, "Nope, didn't mean that." Sorry, other side. We're human, and as long as you can be real, people will totally forgive you. But if you try and then cover it and pretend like it didn't happen, then it's just like, "What the fuck?" We all just saw that. Now you're gonna try and hide it. Like, what are you doing? So it also that, allows that was, you to be real. That was another reason why I, I think jujitsu is so um, 
in some cases like, like there's definitely I, I know there's phoniness in areas like there's there's people that have their black belts that probably shouldn't for example but for the most part like when you're getting taught by someone who's been doing it for 15 years there's a realness to that and you can, if you're questioning it you can find out real fast right? <laughs> like that like you got qualms you don't play okay cool let's go and i don't think i don't think that's gonna work oh yeah. really come over here <laughs> and and it, you see people are like uh that jujitsu won't work on me kind of thing right it's like okay i know that that's not true now and i my you know i had to me personally like I got so addicted to it because it flipped everything upside down that I thought I knew about myself in a moment because I was athletic and I was strong and I had played sports my whole life. And I just never thought that someone, a fraction of my height, a fraction of my size could dismantle me at will the way that it happened. And I left going like the fuck, <laughs> you know, I have to know more about this. And so when, when you do that and you, you keep going and, and then you start to see it happen to other people, it's very interesting. But you can trust the professor the same way you can trust a really transparent quality yoga practitioner teaching you because it, it is you're getting what you're asking for. It is what it is. There's no uh, like smoke and mirrors. It's just real. They're just authentically themselves. Yeah, ever so slight, ever so slightly real, and that's that's, you know, I am a recovering perfectionist. I try and put my best <laughs> out there. Am I perfect? So far from it. I have so many flaws and so many things that I'm daily working to improve and to just simply put my best out there. That's all I'm trying to do. But I I I have I've learned to admit that and to be vulnerable and to admit that when it's hard and you feel like you have to be something but to be real I've noticed there's a lot of empowerment and it's it's a courageous act right it's scary to be real and that's why we hide because of our perceptions of what people might think or this and that but what could be more courageous than being exactly what you are hard because really it's, hard. it's 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 cowardly to allow your fear to make you put up this mask and hide your real self and yet we all do it myself included and i have to stop myself and be like oh i'm doing that thing yeah. Just relax, i I, I find that with um like i i was actually going to ask you because of your success in multiple different areas like being an entrepreneur being someone who with uh your yoga avenues and then jujitsu having been a professional surfer, getting to do amazing partnerships like you do with Apple Plus, all these things, it's hard to ship ideas when they're not perfect because you think mm -hmm. that anything that's not ready is just going to be rejected by everyone out there. But really, it's because you're your own critic, right? And I, I struggle with this in a bunch of different areas of my life, and it's something I know I'm working on constantly to be comfortable with putting something out there that might not be to the degree that I want it to be. But that would be like showing up to training and never rolling with anyone because you want to make sure that you can drill you first. Like it doesn't work yeah. that way. You got to get smashed. You got to be the nail. You got to get crushed. You got to know what it feels like to have your ears smashed against the ground and not feel like you're <laughs> going to breathe to learn how to escape. Go, oh, I have an inch by my knee that I didn't know I had that I can help recover my guard. And so I, I think jujitsu teaches me in a way that. How do you grapple with that? 
no pun intended, but how do you grapple with, <laughs> you know, multiple different offerings in multiple different spaces and all being done well? It's not like you have something out there that sucks and no one pays attention to it. The things that you are putting your energy into are being well received by people. So how do you ship things? How do you get them out there? How do you know when something's ready to go? My, I've learned that what I think is complete is usually overdone and overcooked. Meaning like, I don't want to let it out until it's perfect in my eyes and my perfect is overkill. So it's too much. 80% for me is going to be someone else's perfect. Yep. And to like, I'm completely honest. I haven't been posting that much on my Instagram, my social media lately, just because like I have a lot of content, but it's a little bit not where I want it to be. Like I'm like, it's all right, but do I really want to put that out there? I'd rather just create something better and wait and yeah. post that. And it's and it becomes this crippling thing. And I haven't posted in like a week, and I'm just like, I just need to post. But it's because I'm overthinking what I want to put out there. And yeah. it's a constant process because I oh, am. I think there's like a said, little, uh, keep going, but there's a little clicking somewhere. Sorry about that. Oh, that's um, uh, Hesitance to post. Yeah, hesitance to post because I feel like, oh, it's not going to be well received or the algorithm or it's not good enough. But if I'm honest, I just got to put it out there. And the same thing for programs, going out and teaching and things like this. Yes, you have to study. Yes, you have to do your best and put it out there. But I think the 80-20 rule, if it hits 80%, it's good enough to go live. Put it out there because you'll learn in the process. That final 20%, you'll learn for the next time and the next time. And you'll make those improvements. But if you never put it out there, it'll just never happen. And it's even worse. It's nothing's happening. So to put it out there and try is way better than not trying at all. And to not be crippled by this idea of perfectionism. I learned from Tony Robbins that perfectionism is, or perfect is the lowest goal that you can aspire to because it's impossible and you're setting yourself up for failure because you'll be and like, it, oh, it, well, it's not perfect. It, it strips your opportunity to learn. I, I feel like even in, I mean, I'll use the show as an example because I'm always transparent with the audience, but uh, repurposing of content from the show. I do every, I like the whole production, everything is done by me. And if I look back to a year and a half ago when I started repurposing content, it's horrendous. It's appalling. And at the time, that was the best that I could do. But looking back on it, if I had never done that, then it would never have gotten to a place where it is today where it, it does well and it's like uh, more clear and concise and shareable and fun to watch. And I will look back in a year and I will think that what I'm doing now is horrendous. But it's the willingness to take the risk puts you in the position where you can learn the thing to move forward. That's it's it. fucking hard, man. It's hard to it's put yourself <laughs> out there like that. It's scary to take that leap, right? How do you manage your well-being with being as involved in social as you have been in your life? To even have like uh, multiple accounts across different businesses that manage things and do well, that track, right? They're not just empty accounts mm -hmm. it's something that actually has quality content behind it that is thoughtful how do you keep your head on straight and <laughs> employ yogic <laughs> principles to life and still be involved in this medium that we all know can be like absolutely can be really consuming 
<laughs> yeah, it can be really consuming. And like I said, at the moment, I haven't been posting very frequently because I'm trying to prioritize being present mm -hmm. and, and focusing on real life. And so I think it's a very important thing to make sure that you balance and notice if it is taking you, how does it make you feel? How does your social media make you feel? When I'm being creative and I'm putting things out there, it feels really positive. I create beautiful yeah. interactions. It's really, it's fun. It's not consuming. It's time consuming, but there's a reward on the other side. However, if I'm just flicking and watching and, and scrolling, that is consuming. It does not make me feel very positive. In fact, it can actually make me feel quite the opposite. You start to feel like you're not doing enough. Like everyone has this beautiful life and you're just sitting there scrolling. So I've noticed there is the yin and yang to this as well. And to try and find that middle path where you're actively putting things out there so that I feel that I am creative and I do have these positive interactions and I'm not scrolling so much that I feel like I'm getting sucked in and it's taking away from my actual life. Yeah. I started noticing some of the screen times and like hours that I'm putting in, I'm just like, that's a new skill I could have learned. That's an entire training session. That's so many awesome things, but it has its use and it has its value. It is entertaining. I'm sucked into it because they know what they're doing. <laughs> so, so I think it's it. so important to like, they're so good at it. So well, I think it's so I mean, important that's another to use reason it. Why. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. So, so use it as a tool, but then to really not be so rigid in your approach be like i have to post every day i have to do this if it starts to become a negative thing let it how it feels when you're on it or when you're doing it let that be your guide if it's starting to feel negative let it tell you get off do something in real life if it's in an accentuation of your real life and it's helping you create beautiful connections and like it's fun and creative use it use it a lot it's one of the reasons i I love surfing and jujitsu. Why I live in a place where I can surf across the street is because those are two things that I cannot have my phone in my hand while I'm doing the actual thing. You can't. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's un it's unfortunate that <laughs> the presence of social media and our phones and how integrated we are is such that you actually need things like jujitsu and surfing to take you away from it. But it, nonetheless, I'm so grateful for it because it's. When you're on the mats and you're you're training, it's that's you're just in the flow. Whether you feel like you're in a flow state or not, you are in the flow. You're in the flow of doing it. You're only doing the thing. And if you can develop awareness around that, that's great. But it's happening whether you're paying attention or not. But the physical not being near media, not being near ideas or wondering what someone else is doing or how they're making it happen or what you're missing out on, it's just like just rolling because if you start thinking about that stuff now you're you're tapped out now you're getting choked now your cards passed yeah. now something else is Literally. happening well i'll uh i want to close with um something i think like you'll speak to so well and it comes from being a professional athlete being a yoga practitioner that's as well versed as you are and then being a, a black belt who's been doing jujitsu as long as you have but also in the capacity that you have training with as you mentioned some of the all-time greats as well as competing I want to live a long time and I want to live pain free for as long as possible. But I love, 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 love activity. And it's the, the biggest thing I work on in my life is trying to balance 
doing everything I want to do and then also respecting the fact that my body's not going to be uh, you know functioning for the entirety of my life. So how how do we solve this problem as people that love jujitsu of keeping ourselves in a state of wellness? And what do we have to add and manage within our our lives to keep this happening so that we can live long, healthy, fulfilled lives of activity? I think like all things and nature really shows us is there's seasons and there's times for each and everything. And I think those seasons need to truly be honored. And the longer you practice, you're going to really develop amazing skills. And when, you know, you're young and all of your physical abilities are there, you should utilize them and grow to your full potential and do those things. And then as things progress and they start to shift, you really need to honor that. There's a point in my in my training where I had to really change mindset and train sub-maximally in all of my sessions, meaning not take it to failure or to the end range because I'm at a place in my life where I don't recover in the same way and that stopped being beneficial. Yeah. So just starting to honor your body and work, like we are so, so fortunate to have such amazing professionals and information at our fingertips. Like you wear a watch, it tells you your heart rate, tells you how much calories you've burned, tells you all these things, right? Such amazing information. Use these tools to stay aware and to constantly prioritize your recovery and your well-being just as much as these activities and harder things that you're doing. So just as much as you're training your workout and your jujitsu session in, you should be creating that same intentional space for recovery, for meditation, for whatever modality you've chosen, whatever that is, but something that takes you the other way. As an example, I'm doing calisthenics at the moment and working on ring strength. And after rings, I don't know if you've ever done rings, yeah. but like, yeah. It feels, it feels like you've gone jogging with your arms. Like after you hop out the ring, your, your heart is beating. It feels like you went for a jog on your arms and your forearms feel like you just finished a proper comp match and they're yep. fully pumped and you can't like move your – you're just like, oh. So after a session like that, he makes me do softening work, which is like these arm circles and arm swings and it's just really fluid and soft and swing and I have to do that as a contrast. If I don't, that tension in my form stays like a rock and I the next day I feel like a T-Rex, Mr. Burns. I can't move my arms. I feel locked. That if I do the softening like, uh, work. Ido Portal. Exactly. The coach I work with yeah. is an Ido Portal coach. Phenomenal so he's stuff. trained under Ido and learned all Phenomenal. from him. And like, So it's yin and yang. As I'm doing this really hard, strong activity, and to balance it out, I have to do something completely loose, fluid, and soft. And the result is the middle, the middle path, well-being. And I'm so glad so I did much, softening work. So much <laughs> value in be so that. Broken. Because you see, and you see this every day, people come into jujitsu, tight, straight from work. They throw their bag down. They get their gi on. We do it. If something's got to change in jiu-jitsu, it's the damn warm-up. So we do this warm-up that's, you know, you run, you hit, you shrimp out, you forward, you do something, and then you stop. And you do technique while you're cold, and then 
right into hard rolling. It's like the, the silliest thing. It's sidebar, mm. but uh, yeah. then class ends and people put their stuff on and they go to they sit in their car right. and they commute back to work. And I'm like, there has to be this balance. You you can have a, a tension and aggression and hard rolls. You can't have that every single day. You can't do it every single time you train. You have to do loose with tight, fast with slow, <laughs> cold with hot. Like, yeah, it's so important. And um, I totally agree with you on the warm up into jiu-jitsu. And when I teach classes, like I do a very functional warm up, and after class, I do a stretching and breathing cool down. Wow. With a moment Novel. of relaxation at the, a, a, a moment of relaxation at the end, yeah. and literally people after class walk away going, "Oh my god, I should do this all the time." And unless I make them do the cool down at the end of class, guess what? They never do it. They don't but every time I do the cool down at the end of class, it's like it's it's literally like a ten to fifteen minute mini yoga routine with conscious know, breathing and just getting into the major movers that we just stressed in jujitsu. And, I um, wish that there was like, a, I, I mean, I'm glad there's not like an oversight governing governing body of all of jujitsu, but I'd love to go and sit sure down with it. Yeah, and say, hey, one, we got to make this warm up more functional. Everyone who's coming in here, aside from athletes, their backs are destroyed and their hips are super tight and their necks are all mm -hmm. jacked up. So we got to address that in the beginning. Second, we need to do the technique, sure. But that has to get progressively warmer as you then roll. So even if it means do all the technique, and then now let's take five minutes to run through the dynamic warm-up. So maybe class starts with the technique, then the dynamic warm-up into the thing. Because people hurt themselves because they go from sitting on the ground watching technique be done, a couple attempts at it, and then they stop and do conversation about life or whatever. And then everyone's waiting to roll. So they're just, they're waiting for that moment and then they get it. And it's everything that we know about, think, of, think about if a yoga class was taught the way a jujitsu class was. Good it's luck a, staying open for a week. Catalyst for, it is catalyst for injury. And Straight so I think, you're so I think you're so right. Like, okay, let's talk about a functional jujitsu warm-up. Running around oh, the room, the good. Click, uh, the click though, watch it, watch the click. Sorry, I keep touching these pins. No, it's okay. I, I'm fidgeting. I've learned I'm sorry. to just call it out. I've learned to just call it out, <laughs> call it out, and move forward because otherwise it's like hours on end trying to edit these you're little like, noises. Why? No, you're, you're good. Clicking? You're good. Yeah. No, sorry, you're good. Um, but I lost my thought. You're, we were talking about the warm-up structure of. Oh yeah, so the perfect warm-up in my mind, a really ideal warm-up. Run around the room, run outside, inside, and backwards. Then do yep. crossovers, get some ankle and foot moving, get your upper, get your basically blood flowing, do your rolls, do your hip escapes. Then it needs to be functional drills, like movement drills with a partner. <laughs> Mind-blowing concept, functional yeah. drills that teach the movements of training. And like, there are so many of these solo and partner drills that teach the movements of jujitsu so that you can warm up your body. And essentially it's mobility training. If you do the, the movements kind of half-assed, eh, it's not. But if you take it to your range of motion each and every time and work on the principles of balance and alignment, you're doing mobility training when you're doing your jiu-jitsu drills. And then when it comes to technique, you keep it simple. 
you keep people very specific with either a set time to drill the move or you give them a specific number of reps to do on each side. And you keep, you, like, you got to keep the ball rolling. Otherwise, people do exactly that. They do two reps and they have a chat about lunch. And then they do this. Like, I don't mind, I, think, I don't mind the chatting. I think yeah. it's because what happens is people, when you put a time limit on it, you go, okay, uh, you're going to do, you know, Toriano pass. 30 seconds, first guy, 30 seconds, second person. Th and switch, and we want you to do three. Management of expectations. You know exactly what you need to do. You start to do it. As soon as you're done, you switch, you do the thing, and now you're moving on. When there's no management of expectations, you don't have a time limit, you don't have a rep count, you don't have a movement, it's kind of like this is what we're going, and usually it's something that's kind of way over 90% of the people's heads in the class because they're newer and they don't really know what's going on. <laughs> you get to training, one, they can't figure it out, so they don't know what they're doing, and that creates uh, like insecurity about it. You don't want to do the wrong thing, so they stop, and they look to see what other people are doing. The second thing that happens is it's jujitsu. Therefore, there's a lot of contact, and there's touch, and you're, you're wrestling. And when you're doing that, people get uncomfortable when they start to pay attention to the fact that that's what's going on, and mm. they stop. When they're just going through the movement of what you're supposed to do, the thing, it could be something so simple like a, a knee pass, knee pass, knee pass. Now you're moving the body, you're moving the hips, you're moving the knees and the ankles, and you have deceleration, acceleration, all these things that are really prepping you for, for the later moments in class. Yeah. It, and it gets them out of their head. Totally. You can't think too much. If, if you're doing all the things, you can't be sitting there and like thinking about too much stuff because you have to do the thing. And you so. touched on it so perfectly. It's simplicity. Right. Yeah. Keep because it simple. Keep it moving. That'll pay off. That pays off for the individual yeah. too, because the simple things are the things that I don't want to say win, um, but they are the things that accomplish the movement down the line. Yeah. And I think as as the instructor, it's up to you to. I I don't like to be militant in any way. I'm super playful. I like to make things really fun, but I don't like laziness, and I don't like people avoiding the work or just mess or just farting around. So. I will literally be like, let's go and motivate people and talk to them directly and be like, what are you doing? Get your reps done. Let's do this. And when it comes time to change, like you could be lazy. And at the end of class, if you have a specific amount of time, you get three rolls in because people take time to choose a partner and you set the timer and this and that. Or you set the timer and be like, I want you to pick the next four rolls. Now, who are your next four training opponents? Yeah. All right. I'm going to set the timer. There's 15 seconds in between rounds. Change opponents quickly. We're going to utilize this time. You have all day to sit around and change clothes and drink water and think about whatever. You're here to train. Let's go. And we do it. And if you are super direct and clear with what you want people to accomplish in that time, as you said, they have an objective. It's very clear. They'll do it. If you give them broad parameters and lots of options, people will just be completely paralyzed by their options and do choose nothing. Yeah. It's so interesting. So it what is. do you want out of people? Don't sit there and yell at them and abuse them for doing stuff wrong. Just tell them exactly what you want them to do and they'll do it. Be direct. I want you to do this this many times with this intention and this quality. You'll watch that happen. Literally, I want you to do also, your Toriona passes. I want you to bring your heel to your butt. I want you to be smooth. And I want you to do this. And people are like, oh, okay. Now I got something to think about. <laughs> I think also... And it's so important to, to mention this, like as a consumer, and this is true, you know, being a, a professional in the yoga arena or in personal training and coaching, 
when I go to your thing and you have a plan, I love that because mm. that's what I'm showing up for. If every time a client came to me for their training session and I said, what do you want to work on today? That's a, <laughs> like, that's so overwhelming as a client, right? Like I'm mm. paying you to have that answered for me so that I can disconnect for an hour and do my thing. And yeah. when you go in and there's, I had this one uh, professor in LA, uh, Macon, who's, I loved it, man. We'd get done with the drills. We do like kind of a king of the hill type, uh, you know, like three out. If you, if you pass, stay, if you don't go to the line. Yep. So you're moving, you're moving, moving. And then right when that ends, it was like a one minute break and he's everyone on the wall. And he would pair people up. He's you two, you two, you two. Between yeah. each round, there was 30 seconds. And all you could do is get back to the wall. People that wanted to roll, everyone else off the mat, you, you, you. So there was never a lag in the next roll, which is 100%, like you said, it's where things fall apart. Because people, yeah. oh, I got to get water. And then, oh, there's odd numbers. And it, it just destroys this part of it that's so simple to solve. And I think, like, just to become efficient, we all are spending so much time doing this thing. Make it awesome. Make it really, <laughs> really yours. Don't perfect yes. it because that's impossible. But optimize it. Like, what are the what are the pain points? The friction points. This is what I like. As because I'm teaching teachers in the yoga field and in my own in my own teaching, like I give myself an objective every time I step into the room. I have an intention as a teacher. I started applying these principles and these concepts to jujitsu classes. Any jujitsu class I would teach, I would have an intention. I would have a class plan and be really clear of what I would want to convey. My warm-ups would relate to the move of the day that we're doing, and the cool-down would look after those same places. So it just started to be like, okay, what am I teaching today? How am I going to warm people up? After that, can we do specific training if there was a lot of instruction so that we transition from that drilling technique phase into sparring in a way that's safe? Like, in my opinion, that's how you eliminate that dead time. Like, if people are cold from saying, okay, we're going to start in half guard. You can only do, yep. like, give them one objective. Only pass, only sweep, or yep. whatever whatever the rule set is. But giving those people limited variables to, to deal with safely warms them up, allows them to work on specific skills. And then when it comes to free training, you're good to go. And I just notice it feels so much better in my own body, and then I don't get injured as much or have pain as much after. And the same thing for students. So I think if you are doing this and you are a movement professional, and I think that's really important that you look at yourself as this, if you are teaching yoga, jujitsu, any movement modality, you are a professor or an expert at movement. So approach it in that way. Be specific. What do you want to get out of this experience you're leading through people through? And I think so many of us um, have had teachers that have been just super chill and yet they're phenomenal practitioners. Yet their coaching style had a lot to be desired. If you actually analytically look at it and think about it, they're awesome people. They're awesome practitioners. But as a coach, their teaching style has a lot to be desired. And it could be refined so much more. Nothing against that. I've learned amazing things from some of these people. But just as someone that isn't in a teaching role, I want I want to really affect my students in a clear, positive way. I want what I convey and what I'm teaching them to be actually like embodied and felt and not just be one of these concepts and they're like, oh, a teacher showed something crazy today and they forget about it. 
so much <laughs> like so much truth and in the in the in the vein of everything we're talking about I, I hate to even cut this short because i could have talked about this stuff for two hours i have to get to a body work session to be wow, completely that's honest, very important to well, enjoy. take everything that we're talking about and implement it because so much of what you said is 100 percent true and it's the thing that down the line it'll keep the listeners on the mat longer and that's because we all love this so much, super important. And that, you know what, if, if you're surfing or doing something else, it's also important. Anything that you love to do requires that you respect your body because rest is a discipline in and of itself. And no greater words than coming from yourself. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here, man. I'd, we'll have to do this again in the future 100% because there's so we'll many things that I feel like we just touched the top of the iceberg um, or the cold plunge. <laughs> top of the cold plunge i love it yeah. thank you for having me great chats and yeah really stoked to do it again soon